Please remain standing for the honor of God's word. To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may take you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, as we take these next few moments and we open your word, may we never take for granted the truth that when we come before you in prayer, we have an audience with the King. Lord, may we recognize that as we come before you, we can make requests of you. And not just any request, but Lord, we're told in your word that we can make bold requests of you. So God, this morning, we make the bold request, Lord, that you prepare our hearts that we might receive the message of your word because the second thing that we may be prone to take for granted is that not only when we pray do we have an audience with the king, but when we open your word, we have an audience with the king of all creation. So God, as we open your word, I pray that we would hear the message you have for us this morning, and Lord, that we would not be indifferent to your message, but Lord, we would be prepared and ready to change for your glory and to be changed by your gracious and merciful work. God, be glorified in our lives and in these next few moments. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 2017 in Venice, Italy was the site of the Venice Marathon. Uh, the Venice Marathon uh, was touted in that day to be one of the best... Uh, combinations of some of the most elite runners in the world. The, the field was full of many of the greatest runners at that time. And the race was going on in such a way, they were running at such a pace, uh, that the truth is they were set to not only run faster than anyone had run that year, but in fact, uh, the top three or four runners were set to all three or four of them to run the fastest marathon of the year. And so uh, they were plugging along at a magnificent pace, and um, there was something happening that they were not made aware. Uh, no doubt you know that in a marathon, it, there are hundreds of, uh, of people running, and, and when they run, most of the time, the easiest thing for many of us is you just follow the person in front of you, because there's always someone in front of you. But there are these people that are like um, freaks of nature who are in the front, they're running, and there's no one to follow. There's not, a, uh, there's not a crowd in front of them. And so in these marathons, they don't know where to go. Uh, there's always a lead vehicle. It may be a car or a motorcycle or something, some sort of vehicle uh, that leads them. And then they know where to go. They, they follow that lead vehicle. Well, um, uh, they were going along at a magnificent clip. Uh, the top three or four runners, they're just flying through this course. And they got to mile 16. And when they hit the 16th mile marker, those lead vehicles, without any warning, just turned left 
Um, and when they turned left, because the lead runners had not been made aware of what was happening, they simply followed suit, and they followed these vehicles to the left. What they were not told was that because of the narrowness of the streets in Venice, wasn't really designed for uh, vehicles um, at, that, uh, at all. And so they turned off. They, they knew before the race started that at mile 16, they were going to turn off so that the runners could continue on and finish the race. Uh, they just forgot one, prop, uh, one thing. They forgot to tell the runners that that's what they were doing. And so when they turned off to the left, these lead runners who were flying through this course just followed the vehicles to the left. And by the time they had realized the mistake and realized that they were following them and turned around and said, no, go back, go back. And they turned around and they ran back. There was a man that had been running who was following this pack, but he was behind the pack. He wasn't in the lead pack. Also, he was from Venice. And so he's a hometown boy. He knows this course. He knows where it's going. So when they all veered off, he just went, and he kept running. He knew where to go, and they veered off the path long enough and far enough that no matter how hard they tried, once they turned around, they, would, they never caught up to him. He was able to put so much distance between them that he ended up, even though he wasn't even listed as somebody who should have been in, in um, competition that day, he ended up winning the race because he knew where to go, and they did not. Now see, losing your direction or not knowing the right way to go, depending on what you're doing, it could be devastating. And as followers of Christ, we can struggle. We can struggle to know which way to go in our lives. But the Word of God is actually abundantly clear about the direction of our lives. See, what we should know this morning is that Christ followers should live worthy lives for a worthy purpose. We should live worthy lives for a worthy purpose. Now, I know some people think that this is a question that young people ask, but the truth is, in my years of ministry, I know that I I would actually say this is probably the number one question that I have had to field over the years, and that is, what is God's will for my life? I just... I want to know what God's will is for my life. And now certainly, God's will for your life may be in regard to your job or where you're going to live or things like that. Of course, it can be different depending on who you are and your circumstances. However, God's will for your life is actually very clear. The scripture makes it abundantly clear. And God's will for every believer is exactly the same. It doesn't matter who you are or where you are, or what you do for a living, or where you are on a socioeconomic scale, God's will is the same for your life as it is for your brother and sister in Christ who's sitting across the aisle from you. See, God's will is not that you wander aimlessly through life. And there are many believers who do so. They wander aimlessly through life, not really knowing the direction. Uh, They are, as it were, subject to the whims of different things that happen. James talks about that. Even to the point of when the lead cars seem to veer off to the left, you just follow because you don't know where you're going. And you're wandering aimlessly, not really sure what you are supposed to be doing. Well, wonder no more. Believer... There is a desired outcome for your life. 
There is one. Say, I know I'm supposed to go to heaven when I die. No, no. I said there is a desired outcome for your life. You don't just wander around aimlessly hoping to make it through, looking to the day that you get to go and be with Jesus forever. Sure, we want to look toward the day we get to be with Jesus forever, but you've got a calling to fulfill right now. There is a desired outcome for your life. Look at verse 11 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. To this end. What end? He's referring to chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. And in chapter 1, verses 5 through 10 that we looked at last week, he was talking about uh, their suffering and their difficulty and how they needed to get through it. And basically what he's saying is that he referred to them meaning to be counted worthy of the kingdom, of entering the kingdom, that they would receive relief from the Lord and that God would be glorified. So Paul is saying, so, so that, or in order that, you may be counted worthy of entering the kingdom, you may receive relief when you're supposed to, and that God may be glorified in your life, we always pray for you. That's what he says in verse 11. Now, we always pray for you. There's a few things that we need to know about this. I referenced this a couple of weeks ago, but 1 Thessalonians 1 and 2 Thessalonians 1 are very similar in many ways. And Paul begins 1 Thessalonians 1 with, we thank God always and ever remembrance of you, right? And he talks about how he prays for them consistently and constantly. Then in 2 Thessalonians 1, he says, we give thanks to God always. He's beginning it basically the same way. So it's a prayer. He begins this prayer the same way. But as Paul is want to do, if you've read the Pauline epistles, you know this. And, and, and personally, I don't know anybody who talks this way. But Paul will begin an idea and it will make him think of something else. So he'll move to that. And then it'll make him think of something else. So he'll move to that. And so on and so on and so on. The, the brilliance of it, though, is that through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and God's divine guidance in the fact that the Apostle Paul was brilliant in and of itself, the fact is, is that no matter how far Paul seems to be trailing, he always seems to bring it back to the same thing. He never leaves it open-ended. And so in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, you can tell he begins a prayer, as it were, and we give thanks to God. He, he starts by talking about that and saying in verse 3, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers. So he's starting there. But then that makes him think of something else. So he kind of goes down that trail for a minute. But in verse 11 and 12, the Apostle Paul picks back up where he left off at the beginning and says in verse 11, to this end, we always pray for you. So he's picking back up. And when he says, we always pray for you, as I said in 1 Thessalonians, he says, when he talks about prayer, what does he say? He says, we always give thanks to God for you, remembering you constantly in our prayers. He says we always pray. We always pray. He says this repeatedly. He commands us to pray always and unceasingly. So when Paul discusses prayer, he knows that the Thessalonian believers are going through hardship and difficulty, so he's praying for them. But when Paul describes his prayer for other believers, when Paul describes the way he prays for everyone, it is always with, uh, with words like unceasingly or continually or over and again or always remembering. So the Apostle Paul's prayer life was a constant thing. It was always. And he says, to this end we always pray for you, and here's the reason, that our God may make you worthy of his calling. 
that God may make you worthy of his calling. What, what calling is he referring to? Well, he doesn't mean, we, we use calling for many things. Uh, this is obviously not the Apostle Paul writing to the Thessalonian believers and talking about calling to ministry. Uh, we use that term all the time. Uh, what is this calling? If it's a calling that is universal to everyone he's writing to, he's referring solely to the calling of salvation. He's saying that God may make you worthy of the calling, as Paul says elsewhere, the calling to which you've been called. He's referring to the call of salvation. He's referring to your salvation in Jesus Christ. And he says his prayer is that God may make them, and by proxy, may make you, if you're a believer in Christ, may make you worthy of God's calling. What does it mean to be worthy of God's calling. This is a, a desperate prayer that Paul is, is, is praying for them. And he asks God, that, or that God rather, would make them worthy. That God would make you worthy. This is so important. You and I do not live lives that honor God because you and I have the ability to do so in and of ourselves. We, we cannot live our lives to honor God without God being the one to supply that ability. In fact, he says that God may make you worthy. There is within me no good thing, according to the Apostle Paul. So he, needs, he knows that we need God to make us worthy of his calling. Paul wants them to live up to the calling to which we have been called. The worth is not in and of ourselves. It's Him that makes us worthy. Um, whenever we think about God calling us to live a life worthy of the gospel, here, here's the question I want to ask you this morning. If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we know this, that Christ came to earth. He took on the form of a servant coming in the likeness of men, as the Apostle Paul says in Philippians. So he did this. And when he did, he came, he lived a, 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 a difficult life. He says that foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man didn't even have a place to lay his head. And then people loved him for what he gave them, but then the moment he would teach them, they hated him. And then ultimately, he was handed over to the Roman government by his own people for declaring that he was God and declaring the gospel of the Messiah. So he was handed over, he was beaten to the point that the Apostle John says he was not even recognized, he could not even be recognized as a human being. And then he died on a cross for you and for me. And then he rose from the grave three days later, praise the Lord. But because he is forever the God-man, the scripture says that to this day he still bears the scars from the price he paid for you and for me. And that salvation that you have been freely given, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you have been freely given, the question I want you to ask yourself this morning is, is the life I'm living worthy of that sacrifice? Is the life I'm living worthy of what Jesus did for me? Because that's what he says, that the prayer would be that they would live a life worthy of God's calling. That they would live in a way that brings honor to him. So he says that God may make you worthy of his calling. And so not only they make you worthy of his calling. But and 
that you may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. So his prayer is not only that they would live lives or that God would make them to live lives that are worthy of the calling to which they've been called, but also that he may fulfill every resolve for good. It's an interesting phrase, that he may fulfill every resolve for good. If you're a believer in here this morning, it's, it's interesting. This is, I'm not going to say it's only common in today's church, but I will say that, it, at least for me, it's, it's noticeable more. Um, but it's probably been around forever. But there's, a, there's an aspect of the church today that was completely foreign to the New Testament. It's completely foreign to the New Testament that someone could claim the name of Christ, could claim that they are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, but then live their lives in such a way as to, to live for their own desires, their own passions, their own purposes, to live their lives for their own glory, to live their lives for their own fulfillment, that they would live their lives any way they want to and yet still be able to claim the name of Christ. In the New Testament, it's completely foreign. We created that. That's not in the Bible. See, the scripture says the first thing that Paul prays for them is that they might live a life that is worthy of the calling. There's a calling on your life. If you're a believer in the, G in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a calling on your life, yes, to be saved, but there is also a calling on your life to live a life that's worthy of the fact that you have been saved. See, and we get nervous about that. It's like, you're, you're about to talk about good works. No, I'm not. The Apostle Paul is. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. He just said good and works in the same sentence. Don't get nervous, Baptists. He said good works. Why? You do not do good works that you might earn your salvation. You can't earn your salvation. But you do good works because of the salvation you have been freely given. The Apostle Paul says in, Rome, and in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, And we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he has laid out before us that we might walk in them. So you have been saved by grace through faith. But then look what he says. There's an important word here. And may fulfill every resolve. They had a resolve to do good works. They, they resolved to do right. They wanted to live the way they were supposed to. But if you ever, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, have you ever tried to live for the Lord but found it very difficult? Have you ever tried to build within yourself certain disciplines you know you should have, but it's just really hard to do so? And every year you say, I, I resolve that I'm going to do, and then what happens? January 2nd, it all falls apart. You resolve to do this, and what is the cry that the Apostle Paul says? Hear this. That our God may make you worthy of his calling, and that he, that's the inference, he may fulfill every resolve. You want to know why? See, we tend to forget sometimes. We tend to forget 
that we have been saved by grace. Amen and hallelujah. But somehow or another, we fall into the trap where we think we were saved by grace, but then we live according to our own ability and our own power to do good works for Him. See, there are many in this room this morning, you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're struggling. You're struggling to fulfill your resolve. You want to live for Jesus. You want to live righteously. You want to stop talking the way you talk. You want to start doing the things you know you're supposed to do. You want to stop thinking those thoughts and watching those things and, and, and saying those, uh, those phrases and gossip. You want to stop doing those things and start doing the things, but you're struggling and you keep trying to resolve. You know why you keep trying to resolve to do this, but you cannot? The Apostle Paul infers it in this passage. He knows they're resolved to do good, but he knows they cannot do it on their own. See, believer, you may be struggling today to fulfill the calling to which you have been called because, hear me, you were saved by grace, but you also live and walk and act by grace. It is by the power of God that you have been saved, and it is by the power of God you walk with Jesus. You do not get saved by the grace of God and then work your way to the end of days to heaven. You got saved by the grace of God, and this morning when you woke up, it was by the grace of God. And when you fulfill good works in God's name, it's because of His power and His ability and His alone. He says that you might fulfill this in them. That's what he's praying to God. That He would fulfill every resolve for good work and every work of faith by His power. So you're struggling to live your life for Christ because you're trying to do it under your own power. You're trying to do it under your own ability. And like I said, many of us are really good at making those resolutions on January 1st, but struggle by January 2nd, because that's about how long our resolve lasts. So God says, or the Apostle Paul cries out to God on behalf of the Thessalonians, and by proxy, he cries out for you this morning and says, God, give them the resolve. I pray that you would fulfill that resolve in them. Why? Because you cannot fall under the false assumption that you were called to live the Christian life on your own. Under your own power, under your own ability. Frustrated by the fact that you can't fulfill it? Downcast on yourself because you can't keep up with what you think you need to keep up? Depressed because you just aren't who you think you're supposed to be? You're in good company. The man who wrote this letter, the Apostle Paul said, Oh, wretched man that I am, I do the things, or I don't do the things that I want to do, and the things I want to do, I don't want to do, I find myself doing those things. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin? What is Paul saying? Paul had the resolve to live the way he was supposed to, but he was struggling. With the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, and if the Apostle Paul has to cry out to God and say, Oh, wretched man that I am, then so do you and so do I. We need God's power to do it. We need God to do it. See, it's not, Lord, save me, and then God, watch me do this for you. It's, Lord, save me, and then God, do this for me for the rest of my life. See, the, the, the way, what we're supposed to see from this is that as human beings... We are not only utterly dependent upon God for our salvation and utterly dependent upon God for our eternity, we are utterly dependent on God for our here and now. If you're a Christ follower this morning, you are called to live a life that is worthy of the grace you've been given. This is the desired outcome of your life. That's the desired outcome, that you would live 
in a manner that is worthy. This is something that's common with the Apostle Paul. In Philippians chapter 1, you're familiar with Philippians chapter 2 where he, that I just referenced a minute ago about how he came in the form of a servant coming in the likeness of men, that, that part. But in Philippians chapter 1 verse 27, he says, This one thing, live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that whether I come to you or remain absent, I will know of your... And he begins to list all of the things that they do. But what does he say? This one thing. It, the, the word or the phrase there means only this. If you get nothing else, get this. Live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, that, this is common throughout Paul's writings. He believed and, and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit knew that it was our job to not just live life willy-nilly until we die, but to live a life that honors God. And to do so, it requires His power. It requires his might. So we're supposed to strive in our lives to see the power of God working in and through us. In fact, our lives, living our lives for the purpose of godliness is important. But hear me, living our lives for the purpose of godliness is not so other people will think we're godly. Let that settle in for a little bit because some of us struggle with that one. It is not so that other people will think we're godly. We don't go to the Word of God to gain knowledge about God because we just want more knowledge to impress other people. In fact, going to the Word of God to gain knowledge about God is important, but if you do it without the right purpose, the Scripture is actually really clear that knowledge puffs up. You, you can get to the point where if you didn't do it for the right reason, it can have the wrong outcome. So, so why do we then want to live a life that's righteous, that's godly, that fulfills the good works and the, and the works of faith that we're called to do? Why do we want to live that life? Well, believer, not only is there a desired outcome for your life, but there is a divine objective for your life. There is a divine objective. It's in verse 12. In verse 12 he says, So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So that. So he begins it with so that. What? So he says, I want this to happen. I want you to live a life worthy of the gospel or worthy of your calling. I want God to fulfill within you every resolve to do good and, and every work of your faith. I want him to do all that. What's the reason? Is it so that at the end of your life, people will say really good things about you at your funeral? No. He says the reason is this, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. The purpose of your life is to live your life worthy of the calling. And the reason for that is so that Jesus Christ might be glorified through your life. So that other people may look at your life and not say, man, look, Jeremy is amazing. They look at me and say, wow, God is amazing. Why? Because they know me and they know how not amazing I am. But they see good works and it doesn't make sense. But you know, that sounds eerily familiar. Like Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, where Jesus says, You do these things and you show your light before men so that they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The purpose is not so they can see my good works and glorify me. It's so that they might see the good works and glorify Him. He says the purpose of your life is that Christ may be glorified in you. Why? Because 
The more you live your life to honor Christ, the more people see Christ in you. And then they glorify the Christ in you. And, well, how are you living it out? Well, remember, do you do it under your own power? No. So then, when they're glorifying the Christ in you, they're not only glorifying the Christ in you, they're glorifying the Christ in you, who is also the one who gave you the ability to live as Christ is in you. Do you notice something about you and about me? We can do nothing on our own. We are completely and totally at his mercy. And that's why the Apostle Paul cries out and says, Do this, God. Do this for them. He says, not only that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, but then this is a weird phrase. That the Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him. Now I will tell you, my, my sensitivities are such that I hear that phrase and then I immediately go, no, 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 I'm not supposed to get glory. That's his, right? I mean, that's immediately what I feel. Oh, no, I'm not supposed to get, but he says it. What does he mean? Well, when you live your life in such a way as to be worthy of his calling because of his power in you to do that, when he fulfills every good uh, resolve for good, and when he fulfills every good, a good work of faith, when he does that, then he will receive the glory through your life and in your life. And when he does that through your whole life, then one day you will be with him for eternity and you will receive glory. But even that glory is not your glory, it's his glory. So he will be glorified in you and you in him. But then there's a phrase. Right here at the end. And it's really, in, in a sense, almost the foundation of this entire passage. Just these few verses here. I want you to hear them again. Verse 11. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling. And that he may fulfill every resolve for good work. And that he may fulfill every work of faith by his power. So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. All of it, all of it, all of it is because of his grace and his grace alone. It is not your ability, it is not my ability. It is not your charisma, it's not my charisma. It's not your grasp of the English language or my grasp of the English language. It's not your devotion uh, to reading your Bible every day, it's not mine either. It's not the fact that you come to church, it's not mine either. Those may be good things, but ultimately the only reason that you and I would ever be able to live a life that is worthy of the calling to which we have been called, that we would ever be able to fulfill those resolve for good works and the, and the or for good and for the works of faith. The only reason is because it is according to His grace. It has nothing to do with my merit. It has nothing to do with the fact that Paul prayed this for the Thessalonians and God looked down and he went, you know what, they're pretty good. I think I'll answer that question. No, Paul prayed this prayer and it is as if God looked down and said, they're horrible and I'm still going to do it because it's my grace. Why does God shed his grace on you? The only answer is this. He is a gracious God. It is not because of me. It's not because of you. It is his grace and his grace alone. So then believer, 
if there's a divine objective to your life, it is that your life glorify God. It's that when other people look at you, they see Jesus and they glorify Jesus because of it. So the way you interact with others, the measure of grace you show others, your ability to forgive others, the speech you use, your superiority, your pride, your arrogance, your dishonesty, your crudeness, your hypocrisy, your anger, your rudeness, your lack of self-control, your constant negativity, your lack of love, your desire to argue, your impatience, your harsh nature, none of those portray the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as those do not portray the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are not glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ with your life. You are bringing nothing but derision upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But see, that's not the purpose of your life. The divine objective of your life is that you would glorify God. You say, well, yeah, I've got those things. I know I'm, I'm crude. I know I'm needlessly angry. I know that I'm harsh with my words i know that i am dishonest i know that i lack self-control i know that i am always negative i know that and i don't want to be that way and i'm trying so hard not to be that way hear me try all you want you can try for the next five years and if you keep trying to not be that way five years from now you're still going to tell me you're trying you know why because you're trying to do it under your own power and your own ability. Instead of depending on the grace and mercy of a loving God. Hear me. Who wants to do this in you. That's why Paul prayed it. He wants to do this in you. Do you think that the Lord Jesus Christ wants to hear those lies come out of your mouth? Do you think the Lord Jesus Christ wants to hear those crude things come out of your mouth? Do you think he wants to see you be angry needlessly with people? Do you think he wants you to be impatient? He doesn't want those things. In fact, we're told that the fruit of the Spirit is what? It's the exact opposite of those things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against these things, there is no law. See, that's what God wants to see in you. God desires to see that in you. So why do you not have it? Even if you're trying so hard, it's because you're trying under your own ability. And that's why the Apostle Paul, when he prays, his prayer was not, I'm praying that you would try harder. I'm praying that you will be more devoted. His prayer was, I'm praying that God will do this in you because you cannot do it in you. I'm praying that God will make you who you need to be because you can't make you who you need to be. I'm praying that God will do this with his power because your power and my power is not enough. The measure to which Christ is glorified in your life is according to the measure to which you think, live, act, and react like Jesus. You want to know if your life, if you're living a life that is worthy of the calling to which you've been called? Simply put, when, when people look at you and the way you respond in life, do they see Jesus responding or do they just see you? Because the purpose of your life is that they may see Him and glorify Him. There are some who may be struggling 
this morning, as I said before, understanding the purpose and the direction of your life. The reason you're struggling to understand the purpose and the direction in your life is simple. Because there are some in this room, you've been living your life for your own purposes, for your own glory, for your own appetites, your own desires. The reason that you're struggling to know and the reason it seems meaningless, I need you to hear me, the reason, it's, the reason it seems meaningless is because it is. It's meaningless because you were not created to live for yourself. You were not built to bring you glory. You were built to bring Him glory. And I can promise, you know, I, I hear this phrase a lot. I've seen it on the internet and different places like that, and I'm sure you've heard it too. But people say, oh, what are you doing? Oh, just living my best life. Can I tell you something? If you're not living your life for Jesus, you're not living your best life. You're simply biding time until you die and stand in front of him. You're not living your best life. Because as a, as a, as a human being, you were created in the image of God, and you were created for the glory of God. And only when you realize you were created in the image of God, and you live your life for the glory of God, only then can you live your best life. And even then, this is not the best life. Eternity is the best life. So if that's you this morning, you, you were created to glorify Him. The reason you feel meaningless, the free, reason it feels hollow is because it is. But you can run to Him this morning. You can run to Him, throw yourself down at His feet, say, forgive me, I trust you, I want to follow you. You do that, you believe that Christ died for you, you do that. And your life where it was meaningless will now have meaning. Your life where it was empty will now be full. And where you found no power to live in a way that was honoring, now you have not only the goal, but you have the power within you through Christ to live a life that honors Him. And you can have that this morning. But as a follower of Christ, the purposed, desired outcome of your life is that you might live a life that's worthy of the salvation you've been called to. This doesn't mean, again, as I said, it doesn't mean you earn your salvation. It means you live this way because of your salvation. This morning, I asked you that question at the beginning. I said, in light of what Christ has done for you, does your life, would you say it's worthy of that calling? Now, I want to be really clear too. When I say it's worthy of that calling, that does not mean <clears throat> that at some point I can live my life in such a way where Jesus looks at me and says, Jeremy, you've done so good, we're even now. Because of what Christ did for you, you, you and Jesus will never be even. No matter what, he died for you. He paid a price for you he didn't owe because you owed a price you couldn't pay. And because of that, you can never be even. The goal is not to be even. The goal is to simply get back, give back what little I can for His honor and for His glory. See, so this morning, it should be an opportunity. If your answer is, you know, I don't know that that's the case for me. Well, then this morning is an opportunity for you to cry out to God and say, God, you would pray it like this. God... I'm going to pray this way continually from now on. That you would make me worthy of your calling. And that you would fulfill every resolve for good. And that you would fulfill 
every work of faith by your power so that the name of Jesus Christ may be glorified in me and me in him according to the grace of my God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed for them. That's the prayer that you should pray for yourself. But hear me, it's also, if you're here this morning, it's a prayer you should pray over your spouse. It's a prayer you should pray over your family. It's a prayer you should pray over your friends. It's a prayer you should pray over your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a prayer you should pray for that person sitting across the aisle from you you don't even know. This is what we should all desire in our lives. This is the prayer we pray. So maybe this room this morning, when we sing in just a moment, should be filled with God's people crying out to God for this to be true in our lives. So that we can live lives worthy of the calling to which we have been called. And so that when it's all done and when everything is said and when time is no more, when people look at our lives, all they can say is all glory and honor and praise be unto Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world and the righteous and mighty King who rules forever. To him be glory and honor, dominion and power from this time forward and forevermore.